0: Welcome back to Reels and Riffs with Random Allen. For our final segment, one-on-one, we are joined by a very special guest. She's a famous actress with many credits to her name, such as appearances on Stan Against Evil, You're the Worst, Psych, Entourage, and more. She's also a comedian, writer, director, and hosts and stars in several podcasts like JV Club and Voyage to the Stars. In the animation world, however, her fans know her as the title character in the award-winning animated series Legend of Korra. Janet Varney everybody how are you doing today? Hello thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. So at what point growing up did you realize you had a passion for acting and comedy and is there an interesting story behind it?
1: You know as as many of us who, who did stuff when we were kids like I can't necessarily pin a moment where you know all of a sudden I kind of realized I, I loved acting. Um, I do definitely have friends and who can remember that stuff and I've on my podcast, like you were talking about the JV club, I talk to people about their teenage years. And and a lot of the times people do have this moment where they're like, you know, and I got bit by the acting bug and all of a sudden it was all I wanted to do. I just kind of, you know, my dad is very kind of performative. He's got a great sense of humor and I think he even minored in acting when he was in uh, college. And both my parents were, and he was, he became a teacher and both my parents were teachers. And so I don't know if there's just like something about, you know, being comfortable speaking in front of groups Hmm. or something that I inherited, but, um, I, you know, I was definitely a little goofy kid and my dad's very funny and goofy. And we used to watch a lot of like, you know, funny shows together, like the Muppets. So I just, I really loved doing that stuff. Uh, And, you know, I started, I went to public school and I, I played Snow White um, when I was five in kindergarten uh, with like a really like messy, sad brown wig that kind of looked like it was from the bottom of a thrift store box um, with my little like white blonde bangs hanging out from underneath the wig. So that was my Mm -hmm. first big, my first big performance was being Snow White when I was five. And apparently that was enough to keep me going. And so, yeah, I've kind of been doing stuff. Ever since, although I didn't move to LA and start doing it professionally until I was almost thirty.
0: So one of the one of your shows that I had been watching that you like like helped direct and you wrote was Fortune Rookie about a fictional version of you reading people's fortunes and getting into various like hijinks with some celebrities <laughs> friends of yours, which I gotta yeah. say that um the scene where um you're reading that girl's fortune and you guys like end up on drugs. And like, there's the, <laughs> the little, like the little paper versions of you that may have me laughing for hours.
1: Oh, that's so good to hear. I'll have to pass that along to Kara Morgan too. She's, um, she's the one who does the stop motion animation with, with those paper dolls. Uh, and I had seen something that she did, um, I had seen something that she did online and I was like, I love this girl. I have to work with her on something. And so we had become friends just through me being like a fan of her wonderful, weird, um, sense of humor. And she kind of knew who I was from stuff she'd seen me do. And so, uh, when I, when I sold fortune rookie to IFC network, I was like, I've got to get Kara to do something. So we wrote that, that episode together and, uh, and she just brought it. It was so fun and so silly. And uh, I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, because you know, I don't just doing something like that that's just is yours and and comes from the heart and gets to be as weird as you want it to be is like it's a, there's a different kind of joy that comes from something like that than there is from, you know, doing someone else's show, which is also super fun. But you know, there's just a like kind of a pride, I think in doing it you know when it's just like everything comes from the
0: heart because it's your creation it's your own yeah it's your baby i was curious how the ideal for the show came about and do you have like an interest in fortune telling in real life or is there any kind of real life story behind it
1: yeah there is i i had never seen a psychic before um at all and uh, after I had been living here for a few years, um, a friend of mine went to see someone and was just like raving about how everything was coming true. And, you know, it blew her away. And, oh, my gosh, she ha- I have to see this person. And I'd never gone to one. And, you know, I, I like to joke. I think a lot of us are like this. But, you know, I- I'm very Fox Mulder. Like, I want to believe um, but then it kind of begins and ends there where Fox really does believe. I'm like, I want to believe, but I just haven't really ever been given anything that would cause me to truly belief. <laughs> so um I was all like when I was little, I wanted to be psychic so bad. Like I really wanted telekinesis. I really wanted to be able to move stuff with my mind. And I would, I would a friend of mine and I would just sit for hours and like try to move a ball, thinking at some point we're gonna get it. Yeah. Um and so, you know, my friend going back to my friend and the psychic, you know, she was like, you have to go, you have to go. And so I was like, ah, you know what? If ever there was a time where I should go And just see if there's anything to this. You know, it seems like this is the guy because she's just couldn't stop raving about him. So I went and um, the main takeaway for me, you know, he was kind of right about some stuff. Definitely there was stuff that didn't ring true. Kind of what you hear about psychics if you've never gone to one. Um, But what I found myself doing was trying to make things fit after the fact because I wanted you know, I just wanted yeah. to believe. So it's like, well, maybe this meant this. Well, it could be that this meant this. And and then I was just so I was kind of laughing at myself like, oh, this is what we do. You know, I spent the money to go see this person. I want to believe that he was real, like he had real gifts, said make sense, make more sense than it really did. And I just couldn't get over that idea. And the other thing that I think about it is that um, I think at, you know, a really good psychic, even if you know whether you believe in psychics or not they probably have they're probably pretty intuitive they can read people well maybe they're even doing it as a con but even you know if if even if they just mean well they can pick up cues they can sense stuff and and they may end up leading you to make a decision that you knew you wanted to make anyway and you just needed that outside push Um, so I, I just found all of that fascinating and I, I, I really wanted to do something with the idea of being a psychic and, (laughs) and, and how much experience you actually have to have to try to do that. And, um, you know, just, I, I, I wanted to just lean into the kind of silliness of it and it just ended up being this kind of weird, almost Portlandia in Los Angeles kind of style that, uh, that it was really fun.
0: It definitely sounds like there's a lot of comedic potential from just psychics in general. It's,
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> especially if the reason why you start being a psychic is because you met a psychic in the bathroom.
1: Who may, And we never see this person.
0: So who knows who it was?
1: Like it could have <laughs> been anyone. Um, it's just, yeah. Like we sort of thought that was funny to not ever show it happened. So you're kind of like, what was this? And then we thought, Oh, if we get to do more, maybe we'll flash back to what actually happened, you know? Um, but we don't even really know that. So, um, but yeah, she, she didn't it didn't take much for her to decide to quit showbiz and uh, and become a psychic.
0: My headcanon is that it was Nathan Fillion in a wig, who I don't oh, know why he was in that bathroom. I love but it. Yes. I
1: love it. We gotta I gotta get him on board if I if I ever do more of those. That would be really funny.
0: In a wig and then he has comedically large John Lennon glasses for some reason. <laughs>
1: I love this. I want to make your dream come true. The episode could be called Random Encounter.
0: That would be amazing. I would greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate you (laughs) using the name pun. That's literally, like, I use so many name puns. When you have a name like Random, you basically have to. Like, I get one name pun a day.
1: Yeah, exactly. You it's you're just honoring the tradition of your of
0: your name. <laughs> exactly. From listening to Voyage to the Stars, which is a podcast you star in, you obviously have a talent for improv comedy. What in your opinion are key components for creating a funny sketch entirely via improv? Can you walk us through it?
1: Oh, sure. Well, um, you know, the key thing about improv is just practice and about tr- it's about trust. It's definitely about education whether you're getting you know, your improv schooling from a class or just from, you know, a group of people who already maybe have that experience, uh, and can guide you along as you perform with them. It's almost like the difference between school and like on the job experience in a way, if you, if you are funny or you have funny friends and they do it, um, and they're willing to let you sit in on some stuff, you know, sometimes there's a lot you can pick up, but I always recommend taking a class. Um, And it's just, and it's definitely a lot of practice, you know, the big thing about improv for me was like the, the freedom of of finding out that you kind of have to fail a bunch before you get good at it. And that's okay. Um, And it also, I think, teaches you to listen to people in just in life a little better and to stay focused in the moment, because that's what improv is all about. You don't know what the next thing that happens is. You don't know what you're going to say next. You don't know what the person, the people that you're performing with are going to say next. So you really have to be kind of at attention. And I find that very meditative. You know, I'm a person with a very busy brain, and I think improv is good for people who have those kind of busy minds that work really fast because it can be hard to just kind of be in the moment, in the present. And instead you're running all these scenarios in your head or, you know, agonizing about this or that and the what ifs. And improv's really fun because if you find a good group of people that you like to perform with, you know, those the the process of of the performance itself is going to be very fluid and come very naturally. The real process is getting to that point where you're even going to do that scene with them at all. And that does come from you know exercising those improv muscles and um, exercising trust with people that you love to perform with. I always say, uh, and I'm not the only one who says it, it's always better to perform with people you think are better than you uh, because it's going to make you rise up to your best potential. And, um, you know, obviously not people that you're intimidated by that you don't, you know, that don't yeah. know you or that you, you, you know, that don't respect you. But if everybody respects each other and loves each other and thinks that like, oh, gosh, this I'm no, I'm definitely not a better improviser than this other person. They're brilliant. Um, I think everybody, li- everyone lifts everyone else up. And I love the
0: teamwork spirit of that. It sounds like having like a good group is really the key there.
1: I think it's pretty it's pretty important for sure. Yeah, again, because you want to have that trust. You don't want to feel the pressure to be funny all the time. A lot of it is, it will. the funniness will come, but it won't come if you're just pushing so hard and trying to come up with something that you're not paying attention to what else is happening. And you want to be honest, you know, real life is funny. Feelings are funny. Like, honesty is funny. And, and you can
0: work with all that, you know. Between writing out jokes for, like, a show and improvisation, which do you think is more difficult?
1: Uh, improvising versus writing? Yes. I would say they're equally difficult uh, and equally easy. Um, the, the, But they kind of offer two different things. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like acting on camera versus voiceover. You know, you, you, you give up something doing one, but you gain something doing it that you don't get from the other. Um, and so improvising is, is fun because if you're doing it right, you've taken the pressure off of your brain to perform. And so there may be things that come out almost instinctively that surprise even you and that you can kind of have these moments that feel very magical. And then writing is, is a much different discipline, and it, it allows you to kind of go back over things and to be critical of your work without being unforgiving or for being, you know, there's a difference between that kind of constructive criticism and regular criticism. And, and if you're a person that wants to kind of believe that you should just spit one thing out, and then if it's not good, you walk away from it because it wasn't, because people are hard on themselves, right? We all are, or many of us are. Um, and so if you write something and it doesn't seem perfect, write it, write it first, you can be tempted to go, well, this is just a stupid idea. And, and unlike improv writing, I think really teaches you to circle back and go, well, now let's not
0: abandon this. Like,
1: what, how can I improve this? And, you know, um, I think that's a really important process too.
0: The way you describe that is interesting. Given that you're both a comedian and an actor, do you believe that there's a connection between good acting ability and good comedic timing?
1: I do do. I mean, I think, I think drama and comedy are, are to, to again, talk about two different things that are equally challenging for different reasons and equally rewarding for different reasons. I, I think, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess I'm not speaking directly to the timing part of it, but like the ability to sort of stay honest in, in something, I don't know, I think in, in our regular lives, we can, we kind of know when we're just saying something to get a response, um, versus when we're a little more connected to whatever conversation we're having with people. Um, and, you know, if you're just in acting and in comedy, if you're just saying the words and, and thinking about what you look like or how you sound to the other person or the people watching you, um, something is getting lost in translation. You're not you're thinking too much about the external stuff and but comedic timing does kind of require that relationship with the outside right because you want to make sure you kind of want to have that instinct for um when is the right moment to say this what kind of pause do I need if you're doing a live show do I get you know what how much time do I give people to laugh uh and a lot of that is kind of hard to teach other than just the experience of doing it but but I think that those all of that stuff becomes the sort of clockwork of of acting whether you're performing drama or comedy and dramas can be really hard because you know it might be harder to dig deep and do those really tough scenes that are you know emotionally dramatic if you have to do them 10 times in a row um maybe that's easy maybe it's easier to do comedy 10 times in a row but at the same time getting that timing like you were talking about is, is also its own challenge. And um, that can be something that, you know, Somebody can be great at crying on command, but maybe they can't deliver a joke. So it's nice to try to develop
0: both those skills. It definitely sounds like it kind of varies in situations, but also overlaps in some places.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You've you have like a lot of experience with this because you've worked on so many different projects and you've been to different conventions, different comedy live shows. Like out of all the projects that you've helped create or starred in, which project holds like a very special place in your heart? And is it difficult to choose between them?
1: Uh, It's almost impossible to choose between them. Um, (laughs) We already talked about Fortune Rookie, which was just very much a thing that wasn't about, you know, money or or anything like that. It was just for people to watch, but also just to do and to play with friends. um, Because I'm so lucky to get to work with the community of people that I work with and being able to just have fun and write things for People I think are brilliant um, was such a privilege. So that's that that show is meaningful to me in a, in like such a deep way. But you know, then doing a show like The Legend of Korra opened me up to the this fandom that is so generous and funny and warm and sympathetic and supportive of one another. And you know, because of stuff that happened on the show, it gets into some really deep issues. And you know, having the opportunity to get to know people that I wouldn't know otherwise because they want to talk about their experiences, you know, at Comic-Con. That's been life-changing, you know, for me to feel, you know, I think we all hope that whatever we do uh, for work feels somewhat meaningful and we don't always get there right away. And sometimes work is not the thing we're getting paid for. We're, you know, we're making a living doing a thing. But if there's this other thing that we feel like we're doing that's that 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 has meaning for ourselves or for other people. That's the kind of the ideal. So that that sort of satisfaction comes from so many different places. But that, and then, you know, my the comedy festival I produce with my two partners um, that I've been doing since I was in college is really important to me because it brings together a bunch of really talented people in a city I love to perform and we're not going to be able to do it this year because of uh, coronavirus. Okay, yeah. So um, it's on my mind. Cause I'm really going to miss that in January.
0: The way you describe it, it's almost like you're trying to decide between like, which kid is your favorite. Yeah.
1: I mean, it really feels like that. Like, I mean, I don't have kids, but um, for sure there's a sense of, you know, God, I would never have wanted to not do something in place of something else. You know, if someone's like, well, let- you have to choose, you can either have done this or have done this. I would be like I can't choose like I just can't choose
0: (laughs) you love them all
1: I love them all
0: you were talking about the various like actors you've collaborated with and a little side note before I go in, in further into this questions into this question um one of the things I was watching that like you helped direct was Neil's puppet dreams yeah. That is so it's zany and funny and like that, that episode where you guys got Nathan Fillion to come on and be the doctor. You guys were having so much fun with the fun with the puns <laughs> on oh, his career. Yeah. I was... love the
1: puns. Neil loves puns too. So um thank goodness for that because there's a lot of groaners in there that we were like, <laughs> We're gonna do them all. We don't care.
0: I thought it was really funny. Yay! The... <laughs> so Who is your favorite actor to collaborate with? Oh
1: my gosh. Cannot choose. Cannot choose a favorite at all. Everyone you saw in Fortune Rookie is a favorite. Um, There were a ton of people that I wanted to, that I have a million, my co-writer and I, Brandon, have a million ideas for things that we wanted to do with, you know, three times as many people as are even in Fortune Rookie. Um, There are just so many wonderful and talented people. And, in my life that I look up to that I admire and, you know, that, that I love working with. So it's, it's so, 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 so hard to even think of like one, I mean, the stuff that comes to mind, of course is kind of what's been right in front of me. I just finished doing a show for Netflix that's, um, hasn't been, you know, hasn't even come out yet. We just finished it. I have no idea when it's coming out, but, um, it's, it was a sitcom with, with a bunch of you know kids and, um, and it was so, so much fun. Um, I've been doing live stream stuff with, um, the thrilling adventure hour folks who are dear, dear friends. You know, they're like family. We've been working together for so many years. And, um, so they're all geniuses and I, and I love them. And, um, God, I mean, it's just, I've just been so lucky and that really is what it feels like. I, I don't, I don't feel like I take any of it for granted. Um, I, I, I really, you know, it's not an effort to stay connected to the young person in me that, you know, can't believe that I've been able to enter a world with, with such wonderful folks, um, who inspire me so much, you know, and, and fans inspire me too. Um, it's a real give and take. I mean, I think that's, you know, without people who are interested in, in the stuff you're making there's kind of no reason to make it so it it sort of completes the circle
0: it kind of sounds like it comes back to the last question where it's very difficult to choose for you because you just love working with everybody you work with basically
1: yeah when when the when the hardest question you're asked is who do you love the most you know that you've been really lucky
0: so moving on to legend of korra question specifically had you already heard of avatar before you got signed on to play korra
1: yeah, and it was really intimidating for that reason, because it's such an amazing show and was and so beloved. And, you know, I, when, when you get the opportunity to be a part of something that's adjacent to something like that, uh, I really had to sort of disconnect from the idea of what it would mean to get to do something with Mike and Brian and with Nickelodeon and, and try, like we were just talking about, to just sort of stay in the moment, because um, you don't want to psych yourself out too much by wanting something too much. Um, But I just, you know, I just went through the audition process, um, like, like, uh, like everybody else. No, no, I mean, I don't know, maybe someone was just like handed something outright. But um, certainly, like, I remember doing a chemistry read with PJ and David. And, you know, we were part of this kind of long process of trying to find the, the right cast and the right combination. And, um, you know, something about it, uh, just worked for, for Mike and Brian and for Nick. And, um, and so I got to do it and I, I still can't believe that I, I had that privilege. Um, that's another thing I'll never take for granted. That's for sure.
0: So you were already a fan going into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I really was like, you know, you, when you, as an actor, you're sort of,
0: continually reminded
1: like just do the do the thing do the audition that's your performance and you got to walk away and assume you're never gonna hear about it again like you have to think of it as you know well that was my chance that was my performance i got to play you know this person on in this thing for the five minutes that i was auditioning for it and and you got to assume that's the last time you're going to do it and then you're pleasantly surprised if you get called in to do it again so Um, And it's a really hard thing to do. It's not like, oh, yeah, someone tells you to do that. So that's what you do. From there on out, you never get attached to the idea of doing a role. Like, of course, that's an ongoing, you know, thing you have to try to do. Um, But yeah, somehow, somehow I kept being brought back in and, and it ended up working out.
0: That's one of the things that um, Jesse Flower was talking about to me like a few weeks ago. How she, the way she described it, is like you do all these auditions, you like send it off into the void, and then maybe yeah. you'll get like one or two back.
1: Exactly, she's exactly right. That's very well put.
0: So, in your opinion, what ways is your personality similar to Cora's, and in what ways are your personalities different? And do you think that impacted like them casting you for the role?
1: Um, I, I. I mean, I think that's a better question for Mike and Brian, but I do think that they, I mean, I think they've they've talked about it a little bit, that there is maybe something about um, a lot of, I think a lot of people, we have this thing where, um, you know, we hide our vulnerability through sarcasm uh, and, and, or humors, you know, that's kind of how we keep ourselves safe. And I think that's something that I, I kind of identified in, really quickly as I thought you know oh she's she she, even if she doesn't realize how unprepared she is uh or how scared she is like it's underneath that because she's really fronting and I know um you know there were definitely people uh, I've I've learned more about it now than I did while I was doing the show that were such rabid fans of of Aang and of Avatar that they really were you know they were like ugh Cora, she's insufferable you know she's She thinks she's so great and blah, blah. She's making all these bad choices and stuff. And um, for me, that's what makes her lovable. And I think it's so important to have a different kind of character go through the process of becoming a better version of themselves um, and to have that conflict. Because for me, you know, my life has not been without conflict. It's been very, very hard at times. And um, I think it's really inspiring to see characters correct their course or have to learn a lesson the hard way or hide their fear through bravado. All of that stuff really speaks to me. And I think that's the stuff that maybe I connected to early on that, um, that Mike and Brian maybe saw, saw something in, you know, that the ability to be tough, but still kind of show that you're scared inside or something maybe, maybe was, uh, I would say that, in general, I'm more honest and upfront about that stuff than Cora, but I'm also a lot older than Cora uh, was when she started her journey. Um, and um, and uh, you know, and I, I think we've both been humbled by hardship, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, it wouldn't change any of that.
0: I just want to ask about um, because when we get to like season three and four, like, the series really delves into, like, mental health issues, like the lasting effects of, like, PTSD and depression. Was there any, like, different way that you approached voice in these episodes? And how did you try to get into the mind of, like, Cora after she experienced these very traumatic events during, like, the last, like, the second half of the series?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I just didn't, I didn't have any problem at all accessing that stuff. Um, like I said, I've been through some very similar stuff, and uh, the writing is so great. You know, the the writing of the show, uh, everything around what we as voice actors do was so beautiful that you know our jobs, from my perspective, were very easy because um, because it was all there for us. You know, it was. It's not like you're you're pulling blood from a stone, as they say. Like. It, you know, I, it, she was so real to me and um, that world was so real to me. And then I, and then having my own experiences, you know, all that stuff stays inside you. And so um, there wasn't really a process, like the process of kind of getting in that space was honestly just reading the script and then feeling, you know, real connected to, to um, the emotion underneath
0: what aspect do you think of like your work on Legend of Korra was most important to you personally?
1: Uh, I would say a combination of, of the, the PTSD the sort of focusing on mental health um, piece of it. And then also the Khorasami story, you know, is, is really important to me personally and um, m- more, more so even than how it affects me. Uh, it's been, you know, just like, amazing to interact with um fans who were inspired by that that outcome and you know some of them came out to their parents um as either gay or bi or you know they they came out to themselves or they realized even if that wasn't their story that they um that they respected it and maybe they had friends who could relate and i i mean i think it really it, it really did a lot of good and you know it was long ago enough now that it almost does feel like, oh isn't that sweet you know I can't believe that was an even a big deal when it happened um, but it was and that's part of you know that's part of what we're all a part of is you know we're we're part of a larger um, continuum that that you know things that seem, like oh that, gosh that was so conservative back then. That's so stupid. And it's like well maybe, but you know someday somebody's probably gonna be saying that about you. In this moment, uh, if if that's the case, that means we're doing something right. And from my perspective, um, evolving as a species, becoming even more compassionate and empathetic. So, um, but yeah that that was a that was a really amazing um, part of it for me.
0: I was going to talk about the finale because, like, at, like it was incredibly groundbreaking, and it's great to see like how um, how that has led to other shows like Steven Universe and like Adventure Time and various other animated shows to kind of follow suit. And like, um, because like Cora laid the groundwork, I like. Did you know that Cora was going to end up with Asami when you first started working on the show? And did you know? No, i like, no,
1: uh, I didn't part? and I and Mike and Brian didn't either. I mean, I don't think they had they hadn't mapped that stuff out um so so specifically. Uh so, you know, as the show was being written, that's really where they were seeing that relationship blossom and um and wanted to take it to that conclusion and, you know, continued on through in the comics afterwards, which is great.
0: It just kind of evolved naturally through them writing the story. Yeah. So has the feedback from fans been predominantly positive or negative? And has the reaction changed over the years?
1: To Khorasami specifically?
0: Um, yes.
1: I mean, for me, it was overwhelmingly positive. How I, I don't spend any time. I've literally never spent any time on the internet, like, going down Reddit holes. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I understand that there's controversy surrounding the Legend of Korra for various reasons in the fandom, um, whether they don't like Korasami or they don't like The Depression or they just don't like Korra or whatever. Um, that, I mean, I I, I just have that absolutely zero interest in any of that. Um, I get it. You know, people, people have strong opinions and people like what they like. Um, my experience has been overwhelmingly positive because I'm having contact with the people who are taking the time out to contact me or come you know meet me at a con um to tell me how important it was to them and that to me that's you know that's what matters
0: for you personally how important do you think having a strong positive representation of the lgbt like q plus community in media is
1: i mean i think it's it's vitally important um those are the place you know that's the place for better or for worse that's you know the the media is the place that we spend most of our time um Uh, whether it's online or watching movies or listening to podcasts or watching cartoons, you know, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of what it is to be American. I think, um, no one would argue that, that the large majority of people get some, have some connection to, you know, entertainment or, or, or just the conversations that we have online or reading the news or whatever. And, and so, um, especially in fiction, uh, there, there aren't, there just still aren't as many stories as you would expect, considering how big the LGBTQIA plus, like there's just so, there's, it's a spectrum, it's changing, Um, ki- you know, younger kids are feeling more free to explore that stuff, understanding that there's nothing threatening about it. And, and so, you know, it's a, it's, it's not a, t- it's not a small percentage of humanity from my perspective and so um you know having those role models out there or having those stories be told um that feel that make that allow us to feel like it's normal that it's not aberrant um are are really important
0: do you think we've made a lot of progress within the 20 years of rep- like of representation in that specific sector and where do you think we could still improve
1: um, I think we definitely have. And I think it's, 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 it's improving all the time. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's, it's, I would say it's incontrovertible that we have made a tremendous amount of progress. Um, and, you know, the, the ways in which I think we can get better, uh, I don't know. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're working on it. There's, there's so much that we're taking on at once. Um, as I think this summer has shown us, you know, there's, yes. there's just a lot of, of stuff we can do to make everyone's voice heard and to, um, you know, show show all slices of life, um, and 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 I, you know, I, 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 we can do better by simply doing better. <laughs> I mean, there's a million ways that we can help get other people's stories out there, um, and I think we're, you know, we're we're doing that.
0: Last two questions what was the most difficult experience of your professional career? And how did you get through it?
1: I mean, I've had, a, I've had difficult experiences, but they've been, they've been moments. Um, you know, I haven't had like, oh, this thing happened and it took me a year to get over it. Or, you know, this crushing blow happened. And for three months I just lived in a, in it in, in a, my closet. You know, it w- I haven't had anything like that. Everything that I've had happen, I, I it's such a cliche, but I, I really do feel like it's made me a, a more resilient person uh, because I, I had to, you know, you have to build up um, a resilience. You have to build up that thicker skin. And I used to be afraid that that would mean that I wasn't sensitive to stuff or that I would not be able to feel like excitement because I would be so cynical. And sometimes that happens like we all do. I mean, I think, you know, you sort of protect yourself because you don't want to feel pain. But um, but I think if, you know when you when you're doing, when you're doing it right and you're processing those experiences and those feelings correctly, whatever that means. Um, I guess what it means is ideally it 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 strengthens you, um, even if you know even if it's hard. Um, I mean rejection's hard, you know. Like there's no no without even having a singular experience. Like Jesse, you were saying. You know Jesse was saying. Um, it's just a, se- it's a long series of what feel like rejections to put yourself out there as an artist. And, um, and so I say artist cause I'm speaking not just, you know, as an actor, but people who write novels, people who write poetry, people who paint, people who write songs, people who, you know, all of that is extremely vulnerable. And, um, a lot of it involves, you know, just trying to get your, your voice out there. And it's really hard when someone says this thing that comes from your heart. Um, I don't want it. And so, um, anybody who has gone through that knows that that's the kind of resilience you have to build up because ultimately, um, you're going to have to, you know, most of us have to go through a lot of that to, to, to have the impact or to, to get to do what we love.
0: It really sounds like overcoming rejection is like a big part of that.
1: It it really is. Yeah. You got to learn to kind of roll with the punches and, and know that, like Jesse was saying, you know, there's there's a lot of energy that you're putting out there and, you know, some of the stuff kind of comes back and develops into something else. And then other things, you you know, just are you're not they're not for you. It's not your job. And and that you sort of, you know, be you're peaceful about that without making it about your your value as a human person. Yeah.
0: Final question. What is the proudest moment of your professional career and why?
1: For sure emotionally like the experience of of its multiple experiences but the experience of of hearing from fans about their own personal life stories and the the strength and the reassurance or the you know the comfort that they took in something like The Legend of Korra, th- those moments are priceless i mean they are more important than any any monetary professional career achievement, you know, award, anything like that, that's just never going to touch, um, the, the power of a person saying, you know, I was in a really bad place and and this thing that you did that I think you did a good job at really got me through. I mean, that's, there's nothing better than that. So I would say those are the most, the
0: the moments I'm most proud or I'm, I'm most grateful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You're so welcome. I, I greatly appreciate it. And like your words have been very inspiring and informative to me. And I hope to have you back on at some point. Sure
1: thing. Thanks, Random. They were great thoughtful questions. I really appreciate it. Hey, I hope everybody's holding up okay. It's been a hell of a year and um and uh there are a lot of moments I think for people where we feel like um, you know, if you're depressed or you're sad, you feel like you're isolate. You kind of isolate, or you feel isolated, and I think there is something to be said for the fact that so many people are going through something like that this year. That, um, that there, that you should know that you're not alone.
0: And do you have any plugs?
1: <laughs> uh, I would say, please listen to my podcast, the JV Club. It's I find it to be very positive. Wonderful, inspiring, honest um, conversations with these wonderful guests who agree to come on and talk about their their lives and their feelings and their their own experiences. So it's free. You can listen to it anywhere you get podcasts. Yeah, I mean anything you want to do, keep your eyes on. SF SketchFests handles like just Google SF SketchFest. That's my comedy festival. We're going to be um, doing some stuff to try to you know stay afloat. Um, even though we can't do our festival uh, this this upcoming year, so um, you can always follow follow us on Twitter. I'm at Janet Varney on Twitter and the JV Club on Instagram.
0: Thanks again, Janet. That's our show, folks. Tune in to Reels and Riffs next week, Wednesdays from four to five on WWSU one hundred six point nine FM. Have a great night.